0: You choose to be the exception. You choose to carve your own path. You choose the smarter choice. And just like you, the new locally assembled Mercedes-Benz A-Class sedan is simply smarter. Discover cutting-edge technology, progressive design, and MBUX infotainment that connects you to the world. The new locally assembled Mercedes-Benz A-Class sedan. Book a test drive today. This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and this is Matt Splained. There's an imposter with us today whose only intention is to ghost us all before the end of the show. Uh, But before he does, let's hope he tells us about the genes that could extend our lifespans, the link between using tools and developing language, and an injectable gel that could repair spinal cord injuries. Matt Armitage may not be, but science is slick. Straight in with the uh, ghosting and character assassination, eh, Matt?
1: Hey, Rich. Um, No, I'll leave that for part two. Um, You know, you have to form a a meaningful relationship with someone before you uh, ghost them, you know, that bond of trust. So I'm going to, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to lull you into a false sense of security. Um, No, I'll I'll start with uh, something entirely different and spill some blood to get us going today. Now, a lot of you have watched the uh, HBO documentary "The Inventor" about the blood diagnostics uh, medical startup Theranos and mm-hmm. its founder, the uh, Steve Jobs uh, obsessed Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, some of you may have read the best-selling book "Bad Blood" by the investigative journalist John Carreyrou, uh, easily one of my favorite nonfiction books of the last decade. Again, all about Theranos uh, in the. Early 2000s, just a a bit of background, Theranos promised to revolutionise diagnostic medicine. The company claimed it was developing machines, they called them the Edison machines, that could test for scores of illnesses and conditions using a single blood sample, and that those tests could be done on relatively small machines. So this promised to open up the field of diagnostics because it would bring specialist testing, into your local clinic, something that would have provided enormous value in developing and underdeveloped countries where the distribution of health services is often uneven. Yeah. But it turns out you know, that the machines didn't work as advertised. In fact, and this is part of what resulted in criminal charges against the company's founders, they may not have worked at all.
0: Is there a belief that the story ended when uh, Theranos went bust?
1: Without doubt, you know, a lot of people like to or likely think rather that this story is over. Of course, uh, Elizabeth Holmes and her co-defendant, the former COO, Ramesh Balwani, are currently on trial in San Jose on a variety of federal fraud charges. Uh, The Verge website has been diligently covering the trial, producing weekly updates on the information that has emerged throughout the last few months. And of course, you know, trials aren't always the most exciting things to follow. Uh, Mm. You don't always get that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse crying for the cameras kind of moment. Mm. You're more likely to hear from lawyers and forensic accountants arguing about the finer points of grammar as well as obscure points of case law. But it is worth turning into these verge reports. There's still a lot of incredible information coming out during the trial, such as the testimony from uh, medical experts who were actually employed by the company and whose warnings went unheeded, uh, such as former lab director uh, for Theranos Kingshuk Das, who discovered that uh, Theranos' testing machines were showing detectable PSA levels in women. Now, You might think that's a good thing, but of course, elevated PSA levels are an indicator of prostate cancer, and women, Mm -hmm. for the most part, don't have prostates. So, according to Das's testimony, Holmes, who has no medical qualifications – had an alternative explanation that the results indicated a rare form of breast cancer, an explanation that the lab director dismissed as being highly implausible. So if you enjoyed Bad Blood or The Inventor, there's still a lot more to hear about the rise and fall of Theranos and its founders. So head over to The Verge and check out the latest head-scratching details that are coming out of the trial.
0: Are we having a, a, a medical theme for today's show?
1: not health or medical specifically, but I guess the focus of today's show is on living things. Uh, If I can get my act together, next week's show is going to be about vaccines and the the new development and delivery systems that have helped to provide things like the coronavirus vaccines, so messenger RNA and some other new developments. But Mm -hmm. the next story is about nerve regeneration. So medical and health here as well. Uh, over the past couple of years, you know, we've talked about quite a, a few technology solutions that are helping people with various forms of paralysis to uh, lead sort of more normal lives again. I think last mm. week or the week before, we mentioned a computer brain interface device that allows people to think text at a rate of 90 words a minute. So they simply think the words that they want to write in the interface and the computer it's linked to turn those thoughts into text, and they do it at a rate that's roughly uh, equivalent to what an able-bodied user would be able to type. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, we've talked about various implantable chips that uh, restore information to damaged nerves, and that's without uh, forgetting treatments that use stem cells and gene editing and uh, other advanced technologies.
0: Is it some kind of, I don't know, revolutionary uh, nanosurgery?
1: Uh, actually, it's an injection. Um, you could even describe it as a vaccine for paralysis, which is. Oh wow! Yeah, it's an entirely incorrect way to describe it, but you know, it kind of gets the the point across. Uh, you know, any kind of surgery on the spine is, you know, fraught with risks. Yeah. The spinal cord uh, isn't like the liver; it, it has no great capacity to repair or heal itself. So, any damage that's done to it often turns out to be. You know, uh, permanent. So, a team at Northwestern University in the United States has developed an implantable gel or injectable gel uh, that can be injected around the base of the uh, spinal cord and it acts like a kind of scaffold that encourages new cells to grow. So, it helps to restore those damaged neurons, it reduces the scarring that also prevents the body from repairing itself. The team used the gel on a number of paralysed mice, and after four weeks of treatment, the mice were walking again.
0: Wow. Um, So is this some form of um, smart technology?
1: Yeah, but again, it's not getting hung up on the idea of smart. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about a smart 4D printed robot, uh, which was simply a, a piece of cellulose. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, so an electric current causes it to form a spiral and it moves in the direction of the, the corkscrew curl that it's made. Mm. So it's not smart in the sense of uh, a smartphone or artificial intelligence. It's smart in the sense that we can make something simple, do something complex. Mm-hmm. So this gel is smart in that way. It's composed of proteins that bind together in long chains in water. A network of these chains kind of mimics the structure of the spinal cord, giving those new cells this scaffold, essentially, to bind to. The mm. gel is also reported to be relatively inexpensive to produce unlike a lot of the uh, implantable or stem type technologies that we've talked about in the past although you know relatively cheap treatments have a way of becoming incredibly expensive by the time they reach the market but you know that's just me being cynical
0: yeah but but how long before we see this uh, technology being trialed on you know people like me humans
1: Well, unless you have a a reason (laughs) uh, with your spine, uh, hopefully you won't need to be uh, one of the the guinea pigs for this. But the Northwestern team is already applying to the FDA in the US to take those steps towards human trials. Uh, Obviously, they'll be using volunteers for whom there are a few or no other treatment methods available. Mm. And while these initial test results were very promising Uh, the mice regained the ability to walk after a single injection of the gel that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to work for humans you know a lot of promising treatments never make it out of the lab but there is hope that if this treatment is successful for spinal cord regeneration in people it could also be adapted to a lot of other conditions that affect the brain and the nervous system. So uh, according to a Daily Beast piece that I was reading, around one and a half million people in the United States live with paralysis, a much higher number than I imagined. So when you multiply across the uh, world's population, a breakthrough like this could have an impact on tens of millions of people worldwide, especially when the procedure itself, an injection, is relatively simple to perform
0: okay uh next story then but uh how how do you top enabling people to walk again
1: Uh, yeah it's difficult um probably not a good idea to do it so early in the show um i (laughs) guess you know the the only way um would be to help stop people aging so oh uh, yeah okay Yeah. That, that works. Uh, a lot of studies into aging have uh, concentrated on examining short lived species like fruit flies because they allow scientists to view the entire life cycle from generation to generation in a very short period within the lab. However, mm-hmm. and I guess it's one of those things that seems obvious when you think about it, we might be better off studying species that live much longer than we do and try to figure out why they have that longevity.
0: Uh, like uh, crocodiles?
1: Well, we talk about long-lived species like you know turtles and crocodiles, parrots and elephants, um, but most of them actually have quite similar lifespans to, to ours, some a mm. little bit longer, some a little bit shorter. Pacific Ocean rockfish, on the other hand, are one of the longest living creatures that we've yet identified. They can live for anywhere up to about 200 years so researchers at the university of california berkeley have been decoding the genetic traits that they believe enable the fish to live these extraordinarily long lives and they're excited about the role of a set of genes called butyrophilins uh, and what role they play in extending the lifespan of the fish
0: what was that word again um do you want to give it a go again
1: uh, no, I'm going to refer to it as these genes for the rest of these, this story. So um, You cheat. <laughs> yeah, these genes are thought to play an uh, immunosuppressive role in human inflammatory diseases. Uh, the researchers are hoping to discover whether they contain a higher copy number in species like rockfish than they do in humans. So uh, Mm -hmm. just a bit of background on on copy numbers, also known as copy number variants. It was originally thought that genes existed in pairs, but subsequent research has shown that a small number of genes can have a larger number of copies. And this is something that tends to be more prevalent as well in cancer cells. So understanding uh, the the role of these genes and their pathways may help us to better understand how those genes function in our own bodies and how they may be tweaked to repair or even ward off the effects of aging. And it's something that we have to do really soon because uh, uh, leading uh, proponents of life extension technologies are aging. Uh, Peter Thiel Mm. is in his mid-50s. Oracle's uh, Larry Ellison is getting close to 80. So if those guys want to live out eternity without looking like, I don't know, Mr. Burns in The Simpsons or or Doctor (laughs) Who's Lady Cassandra, we need to start pumping those gene therapies out now.
0: Okay, let's take a, a short break um, You are tuned to Matt Splane, of course And when we come back uh, The effect of bad genes and ghosting And why imposter syndrome Might make your workplace a happier place to be You're listening to BFM 89.9 The Business Station
1: for more bfm 89.9 the business station
0: FM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Matt Blaine. Ghosting, uh, one of the more irritating trends to emerge in our digital age. Uh, Matt, I imagine you're uh, frequently ghosted.
1: Uh, not really because you know you have to talk to people to be ghosted um this recording is probably the most uh, social part of my week uh, i'm talking to you and i'm talking at everyone else so uh-huh. if someone you know did ghost me that probably just means fewer downloads of the podcast so you know see even my uh, my personal relationship failures turn out to be big data um so ghosting <laughs> um Recent research from the University of Padua in Italy suggests that uh, ghosting short-term contacts may be associated with certain personality types uh, now because my dating life took place in the largely pre-internet era you were less likely to be ghosted than told by an angry parent on the solitary house line to never call this number again lest you be uh, visited by retribution that would require a visit to a, a urologist in a and e um you know, you might even have your love token of a, a penny farthing or your Duran jiran sheep music returned for good measure. The good old days, but um, ghosting does call. Re- <sighs> but ghosting does cause real anxiety and pain, even within non-romantic relationships. Uh, you know, you don't get a reply from someone. You think the worst has the person mm-hmm. died? Have they been in an accident? Have they been kidnapped? But then you see, you know, they're still TikToking think maybe they've changed their phone number, but then you find out they're ignoring your direct messages as well. So humans, of course, want to know why they've been dumped, either as a friend or a partner.
0: Your use of the word human usually suggests this is going into unfortunate territory.
1: The study discovered that it was more likely to refer to people with varying degrees of narcissistic and psychopathic traits, as well as being manipulative and cynical.
0: Um, I'm I'm aware of that personality type.
1: Sticks and stones may break my bones, but I will always hurt you. Um, (laughs) Back to the uh, science, (laughs) it's thought that because people with these traits tend to lack empathy, there's no real sense of guilt for them in simply going ghost on someone they don't want to connect with anymore. They Mm. may not understand why it would damage the other person or simply they've decided that they have no more use for that person. So devoting any more time to them will just be a waste of time and energy. So the study itself canvassed 341 participants who filled out a 27-point questionnaire. And according to New Scientist, uh, this included questions like, many group activities tend to be dull without me, I'll say anything to get what I want, and you should wait for the right time to get back at people.
0: Are there any of those questions that you'd say uh, yes to?
1: Well, I wouldn't have taken part in group activities to begin with. Um, You know, even now in this group, there's one more person than I'm truly comfortable with. So, you know, that approach makes all the other statements kind of redundant. Um, But those traits, uh, psychopathy, Machiavellianism and narcissism, the researchers have kind of termed them as the dark triad. So you can see why this appeals to me. People with a higher dark triad score tended to find it more acceptable to ghost someone. Interestingly, the same team has done work on dark triads before. It found that uh, people with those traits are less likely to be in long term relationships uh, with people in general. But at the same time, when they did form those long-term relationships, they were unlikely to ghost their former partners after a breakup. But we're not necessarily talking about people who are, you know, out-and-out sociopaths here. Mm. It's important to remember that everyone possesses some of these dark triad traits to one degree or another, at least until they reach the plane on which I exist.
0: You'll be pleased to know, folks, that uh, Matt does actually have a psychiatrist on speed dial.
1: Yeah, I I tend to break them quite quickly. Um, But that brings me neatly onto uh, a study about imposter syndrome, Uh, because there are echoes of the ghosting uh, survey here as well. Now, imposter syndrome is something we've mentioned on the show a few times over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it has been uh, exacerbated by the conditions of the pandemic, where all manner of other strains and social anxieties have impacted on our working lives. So studies have shown that imposter syndrome, which is when you don't believe you have the talent to to do the job that you're doing. This tends to be more prevalent amongst women and in minority ethnic groups in various countries, propelled by the belief that, um, you know, these people owe their success to luck rather than through their own skill or aptitude. Uh, I think a, a few more men could probably do with a dash of imposter syndrome. And, you know, it turns out that I'm not the only one who thinks so. Um, Mm. This is uh, another story from New Scientist. The MIT Sloan School of Management has been looking into the effects of this phenomenon. Their study looked at 155 volunteers at a US investment advisory company. And they were given questionnaires that would identify the people who had those traits of imposter syndrome, uh, using questions like, others think I have more knowledge or ability than I think I do.
0: Uh, So I'm presuming that uh, the job performance of those uh, with the traits of uh, imposter syndrome uh, was then evaluated against those without or with fewer of those particular traits?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if there were legal issues involved in looking at the um, human resources records. I imagine there might be. Mm -hmm. So their supervisors were interviewed and asked questions like, uh, this employee creates uh, effective working relationships with colleagues. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the imposter status of the individual wasn't disclosed to the bosses. But overall, those with imposter syndrome would judge to be just as competent as their colleagues but their interpersonal skills were likely to be much better. Uh, And in case, yeah, so in case anyone is thinking that it's a one-off or due to working practices at that single firm, the same team has done similar experiments with other, uh, you know, focus groups, survey groups. Mm -hmm. One was with a group of 70 trainee doctors, uh, 7-0, not 1-7, there was no difference in correct diagnosis between the uh, doctors with and without imposter syndrome. But the study noted that the doctors with imposter syndrome were more likely to show sympathy to the patients, were more likely to ask follow-up questions, and were more likely to to have sort of sympathetic behavioral cues like making eye contact, uh, taking that kind of softer approach to the patient. Mm
0: that's interesting and do we know why um these people with imposter syndrome might be i don't know better human beings i guess
1: well i think it's probably a mistake to ask me what makes a better human being because true i'd argue that the removal of free will and an oath of fealty to king jafar are Ideal characteristics, um, which also means that I'm still in the middle of my Game of Thrones revisit. But um, one theory that's been put forward by the research team is that employees with imposter syndrome compensate for what they believe to be their own lack of competence by trying to excel in other areas. So being friendly, being easy to get along with. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, people want to feel that they're of Mm. value to their company, to their team. And if you don't think that your work is doing that, even if that doubt is built on a a false assumption, you're going to look for other ways that you can add value.
0: That still leaves one question very much open, though. Um, Imposter syndrome might be good for companies, But how do you square that with the harm it does to the individual?
1: Yeah, this is something that the study's authors acknowledge as well. You know, companies may like to think of people as tools that, you know, simply operate for their benefit. But to really make use of those skills, identifying these traits of uh, imposter syndrome and helping those employees to overcome the anxieties that come with it while Mm. making use of their interpersonal skills to to kind of maximum advantage. That makes the the most sense. Then you're you're benefiting from the positive forces they exert on your teams and helping to make them uh, capable of making the most of their own acumen and potential. or alternatively, just replace everyone with robots.
0: <laughs> uh, that's, that's not exactly how I thought you were going to end the story. Uh, but, you know, keeping in character, you did, of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, so I'm going to continue in the um, same vein uh, with that approximation of uh, humanity. Uh, a study at uh, France's National Institute of Health and Medical Research in Lyon has identified links between using tools and understanding language. And now this isn't entirely unexpected. One of the theories behind the evolution of language is that language took over some parts of the brain that were dedicated to tool use because both of them require a a complex and precise coordination of physical movements. So the French team scanned the brains of volunteers as they performed tests involving placing pegs into holes with pliers and figuring out uh, complicated language comprehension exercises. And these scans showed similar patterns of uh, activity in the basal ganglia of the brain for both sets of tasks. So knowing that there were these similarities, they set about determining how the two types of tasks might actually affect each other. In one instance, uh, groups that did uh, two sets of language tests interspersed with a tool test performed up to 30% better in the second set of language tasks similarly when the positions were reversed and volunteers performing the pliers and pegs tasks were given a memory exercise between the two their performance in the second round of the tool tasks also increased
0: yeah but why do we know why
1: well it's the brain so we're never entirely sure why but as i mentioned it could be because of that connection between tool use and the original evolution of language but these findings do open up you know potential avenues to develop new techniques to help uh, kids young people with language learning difficulties but it also highlights the need to do a lot more research into these linkages and connections between our motor and cognitive functions, and not to treat them as as being entirely separate, and of course, then making the the connection to uh, how these developments help to shape our evolution. But I think for me, though, the most immediate effect would be using these findings to push back against the kind of bosses who tell you not to talk while you're working, because mm. now we have evidence to show that, you know, a bit of banter is actually good for your performance and your productivity.
0: Ha, ah, take that, bosses. Thank you very much for that, Matt.
1: Ah, oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having uh-
0: me absolute pleasure you can always find Matt on instagram and twitter at culture matt um you can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about culture pop and its consulting services if you miss any part of this show download it where you normally do or use the bfm app which is what i recommend and it's available from the apple app store or google play i'm rich bradbury for bfm 89.9 the business station